Episode 39, Cybersecurity Tips for Lawyers, my conversation with cybersecurity expert, Tom LeBeau. I'm Michael D. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the techsavvylawyer.page and host of the techsavvylawyer.page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned, taking advantage of technology in their legal work, and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. Our next guest is Tom LeBeau. Tom is a cybersecurity expert who has been in the tech support industry for over a decade. He founded BobaGuard in 2019, which offers a suite of turnkey solutions to help protect solo lawyers and small law firms from getting hacked. Join Tom and I as we discuss how lawyers can enhance their own cybersecurity at work. Enjoy. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate you being here. To get things started, tell us, what is your current tech setup? One of my favorite questions, because I love my my little... Uh tech hacks and all that. So I've got a 13-inch MacBook Pro. It's a 2018. I I don't have the M1 chips, but we'll be upgrading later this year, so I'm looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got it pretty pimped out. I've got the everything I could get pretty much I I, I got on it. So I've got 32 gigs of RAM, the 2.3 gigahertz quad-core Intel i7, and of course I bought it six months before the M1 upgrade, so I, you know, I have a little resentment, but you can never win that game. Um, for lighting, I have a Loom Cube, which mm-hmm. I got just recently, which is pretty awesome. It's this little device here uh, for for lighting. Uh, so I've got I've got my window on the right, so I get great lighting there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was I was always like a half lit effect kind of thing. I also upgraded to the Logitech Brio. Um, webcam, which is awesome. It's a 4K webcam, a significant upgrade from my 920 that I had for many years before. A Yeti blue microphone Mm -hmm. with a nice long extendable boom arm, which is wonderful. And some Klipsch um, computer speakers. Uh, They're like a hundred bucks from Costco, but they come with a subwoofer and I like some good music. So that's pretty much it. Excellent. Excellent. I appreciate you sharing. Uh, that with me, you know, it's funny, uh, the speakers I have are Bose speakers that I got 20 years ago when I got a Dell. So it was mm-hmm. a Dell desktop and it's like they've lasted forever. You know, it's one thing that people don't really think about is like upgrading the speakers. They usually get a set of speakers and they just run with it forever until they're, until they're dead. Uh, so tell us, what are three common errors attorneys are making with their cybersecurity? Uh, the first one is, is the belief that it won't happen to me. Um, you know, fill in the blank. It won't happen to me because I'm just a solo. It won't happen to me because I'm out in Kansas. They're going after the New York City lawyers. It won't happen to me because I practice family law. You know, the criminals are going after, you know, IP law. It won't happen to me because I use a Mac. There's a popular one too. Um, you know, being that, you know, my, my other company, Global Mac IT, all we do is provide managed services like outsourced IT for law firms mm-hmm. that use Macs. Mm-hmm. For the past 10 years, I've been standing on top of the mountain saying, hey, you're not safe just because you use a Mac. You're definitely safer. But a, a, a really important thing that most people don't realize is that the, the threat landscape has changed. And that's such a overused word in my, in my opinion. But, but here, here's what I mean by that. 10 years ago, the biggest threat was viruses. So the mm-hmm. Mac users, they could confidently say, hey, we don't get viruses, we're not at risk, 
right? Right. But today, the threat is viruses is a, is a tiny sliver of what it used to be, right? Today, it's a third it's it's a third party website getting breached mm -hmm. that you have zero control over, and mm -hmm. then you know you're not using a strong password, you're reusing your passwords. So all of a sudden, because Netflix got hacked, your primary email account is at risk. Mm -hmm. Your case management software is at risk. Mm -hmm. Dropbox or Box or Google Drive is at risk, right? So I think. You know, being lackadaisical because they think they're not at risk. And, uh, you know, 29% of law firms have been breached. That's according to the ABA tech report. That's pretty consistent year to year. It's actually mm -hmm. gone up 3% over, over the past three years. Okay. The 2021 report was the first time it went down a tiny bit. But, you know, if you think about it, that's, that's the people that have admitted it, right? <laughs> yeah. In, in my opinion, there's a, huge other 30, 40% who have been breached, but they didn't want to admit it. Uh, they kind of swept it under the rug and like, well, we didn't get breached that badly. You know, it's kind of like getting a fender bender and like not reporting it to your insurance agency. It's like, nah, it wasn't an accident. It was just a little fender bender. Number one is it won't happen to me. Well, well wait, if I could ask, what do you consider a breach that isn't really quote unquote that bad? I don't, but I've run into a lot of lawyers like, oh, you know, our email account got hacked and they sent out, you know, email with attachments, you know, to everyone in their contact list. In my opinion, mm -hmm. that's obviously a real breach, right? But right. a lot of lawyers go, well, it wasn't that bad. No one really complained and we swept it under the rug. Oh, wow. Um, okay. It's, it's definitely what I recommend doing, but this real world experience, I see it happen all the time, you know, I, you know, and if you think of insurance, if mm -hmm. you can, now, I, I'm not saying this is okay, but the mindset behind is, well, right. you know, if I don't have to have it go on my record, if I don't have to, you know, submit, you know, file a notice of a data breach with my DA's office and mail out a letter to every single contact in my address book, I'm not gonna, right? So the, the, the sad truth, in my opinion, is that there's a lot of lawyers, you know, riding the gray zone and, you know, not calling it what it is uh, to kind of help protect themselves and their reputation. I mean, it, it's a world of pain going through, you know, a data breach and a hack. Let me ask you, I had a couple of questions on your first answer. I had read some information about how Russia, they're in this dispute right now with Ukraine and, you know, the world's quote unquote kind of coming against Russia. And Russia, my understanding is they want to retaliate against the governments for taking sides in this. And they don't want to attack the cyber structure of the governments. And they're actually going for lower hanging fruit, you know, small companies, which would include, I believe, solo practitioners. Have you heard anything about that? Could, could you elaborate on that? I haven't heard anything specific, but you know, everyone's using artificial intelligence. It's not just lawyers using it for Zapier to streamline their workflow. Right, right. You know, cyber criminals have access to the same tools. They're able to, you know, activate their different tools at scale. So they don't have to, you know, they're not focusing one on one. They they don't discriminate between size of businesses because they know the smaller businesses, the more lackadaisical they are with their security measures. Right, and that that's not a that's not a, an opinion. That's just the truth, right? You've got 100 right. employees or 500 employees. You're going to have, you know, far more rigid protections in place than a 5, 10, 15, even 50 user place, let alone a one mm -hmm. or two user law firm. Right. You know, law firms have all the good stuff. If I give a lawyer a whole box of paperwork, they're going to charge me a lot than if I give them a folder because I've whittled it down just to the good stuff, right? And the mm -hmm. good stuff has social security numbers, a lot of medical information, right? All, all the good facts, all the good juicy stuff that can be sold on the dark web. So they are, you know, they're buying lists of 10,000 businesses. They don't care how small you are, how big you are. They're hitting activate on their AI tools 
uh, to try to log into different accounts. They're buying, mm-hmm. you know, hundred thousand or a million set of credentials on the dark web at a time mm-hmm. and trying to hit it. They're not taking the time to go through individual records to see how big you are. They're just saying, Hey, whose door can I get into with this key? And right. once they get in, they do what they do. I've seen it happen to plenty of solo lawyers and small firms, you know, and it, it causes a panic. It's, it's scary stuff. Well, now I kind of want to switch directions a little bit from your, still from your first answer. And you had mentioned something about providing uh, IT support for Macintosh users. And I have to ask, what can a company like yours do to provide IT for Macs with all due respect that, you know, it, people buy it and it works? Yeah, great question. So first off, for uh, for Global Mac IT, uh, we have a 10 user minimum. So we're not really mm-hmm. working with solos and small firms because mm-hmm. when you have two, three, four, five six people, there's not that much complexity. Mm-hmm. What I found the sweet spot is when you kind of get the, the teeter-totter, if you will, when you get to seven to eight people, um, then it starts to get more complex. That's why we have a 10 user minimum. We have a lot of firms that sign up with us. When they're at that seven, eight people, they know they're growing. They want to make sure they've got the right technology in place to scale in the long term to handle their growth. You know, then you've got to think about your, you know, network security, mobile device management, you know, really controlling all the devices. Uh, there's a lot more tedious work when it comes to, you know, password management account setup, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so when you're small, solo, two, three, four, five user, I think I believe the best way for that is you find a good hourly IT person mm-hmm. and you use them on occasion when you need them. But, but we've really positioned Glomac IT to be kind of the white glove five-star service. So it's really everything top to bottom, you know, your security, your network, mobile device management, software update, you know, um, consulting and recommendations for hardware upgrades, you know, keeping their computers up to date, you know, help desk, you know, and we, we support people, not computers, right? So right. for, you know, you're always going to have tech support and different things that come up um, and, and really the big picture strategy on like, hey, here's where you are now. Here's where you want to go based on your goals. So that that's a lot of the stuff that we do. So it's really comprehensive. Well, if I may ask, could you share like what are three observations you see attorneys in the, the smaller growing firms, three common uh, mistakes they do in managing their their hardware and software? The most popular one is is thinking that a Mac can go forever, not upgrading your your hardware. Um, Macs last a heck of a lot longer than Windows devices, right? Mm-hmm. Hands down. My wife still has her MacBook Air that's six years old, mm-hmm. right? But she uses it, you know, actually, now she, ha- I can't remember the last time she used it. Uh, she's moved over to her iPad. But when she did, it was, you know, a little bit at night here and there to do banking and, and little, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Now, your your computer is is a tool, and if you're working 30, 40, 50, 60 hours on a tool, you want to make sure you've got the best tool to do the job. So one thing we've helped a lot of our clients, you know, um, do that one of the, one of the first things we do when we notice they've got really old computers, four, five, six years, is say, hey, mm-hmm. you got to upgrade your computers because the truth is, when you do the math, they're actually spending money to work on an old computer right. because your, your number one expense is labor. Right. In a law firm, mm-hmm. number one expense is labor. And you might not notice it, but when you click on Word and it opens up in five seconds versus you click on Word and it opens up in 30 seconds, right? Or you have a lot of different tabs open and you're working with different apps. A lot of times we can work faster than our computer does. Right. And so when we're working on a you know four, five, six-year-old computer, it's noticeably slower than if you got mm-hmm. today's computer. You don't notice it because it's kind of like the frog in boiling water, although that's right. a fallacy. But, you know, I've had so many times when, you know, a client's like, no, it's fine. And then he finally upgrades and I get a call or an email the next day. He's like, Dom, 
this thing is so fast. Oh my God. You know, I'm going to upgrade all of our clients' computers. So we push for a three year uh, kind of life cycle, you know, for our clients, four years max. You know, well, once you get past that three, three years, you, you don't have Apple Care also. And so, and hard drive failures go up significantly after the third and fourth year. So you've got all kinds of different other risks. You know, if something happens to it, it becomes a, you know, a, an expensive paperweight because it's usually doesn't make sense to, re, you know, repair them. Have you noticed uh, uh, a difference in time with regards to the solid state drives failing? Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of solid state drives fail. You know, so that stat is based on kind of my old understanding of spinning hard drives right, that right, really right. don't exist. Okay. So. No, I was just kind of curious because I've, I've got a whole bunch of, you know, solid states that seem to be running quite well and forever. So, I mean, not that yeah. you don't necessarily need to, you know, upgrade it or replace them, but you still, it seems like they, they just haven't failed me yet. I guess the, my mindset, I actually have a whole article I wrote specifically on this. So I'll, I'll send you a link. I'll, please, I'll put a please. note here. It's called The Cost of Slow. Um, and, and it kind of breaks down, you know, essentially if you keep a computer for three years, you know, you break that up over 36 months and it's like, wow, you're paying, you know, 20, 30 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, it's penny wise pound foolish. You know, I see people using their Macs a lot longer than they should. And once they upgrade, you, you can, you know, it just makes you a lot more efficient. You know, and it, it's tough because w- w- whether you're a lawyer or starting up a business, mm-hmm. you know, that w- when you first started up, you're in the grassroots phase. You know, you don't have a big budget. You're, you're making things, you know, you're figuring things out with whatever you've got. So it's pretty natural. Um, over time, though, it's common to see, you know, kind of Rube Goldberg devices. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with those? Yes. You know, so I, I, honey, I shrunk the kids. I remember the dad had one of those, you know, uh, you push a button and a marble rolls down and it flips a switch and right, all these different steps. So sometimes the tech, they, they make the technology so complicated and, and, and convoluted to use. Once they start hiring people, it becomes impossible for them to hand that off. And so by building that complexity, they actually end up tying themselves down to being the person that has to manage the technology. So instead of when they should be focusing on growing their practice, getting more clients, getting more, you know, key relationships established and all that, they're spending a significant amount of their time dealing and managing with the technology. So I think that's true. Yeah. The third one, I'd say um, trying to use everything Apple. I used to be a, a, an Apple purist, mm-hmm. right? I would not touch, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I've been doing this 16 years. So I was back in the entourage days, which which were a nightmare if, if you were, you know, using Mac in those days. So I, I used to be the, you know, use pages and numbers and everything Apple, you know, 100%. The fact is it's a Microsoft world. You know, you're going to use Microsoft right. Word. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a, a few years ago, I actually, we, when, when the, the company switched over to 365, my, I was using Apple mail, uh, and I was like, well, uh, I'm not going to like it, but I'll try it out. I'll switch to Outlook. And if I don't like it, then I'll switch back to Apple mail. I never made the switch back. Right. So personally, you know, Microsoft office, the entire suite has come leaps and bounds really over the past five years. Um, the, the CEO made a commitment to make the Microsoft apps exactly the same. You know, the, the, he wanted to bring feature parity on all different platforms before Microsoft Word, Microsoft Outlook on the Mac were not the same as Microsoft Outlook, you know, their counterparts in Windows. Now, you know, they've brought the, the app store to Microsoft Outlook and Microsoft Word. So you've got plugins and all kinds of things that really increase efficiency. 
you know, I use the Calendly plugin quite regularly. Hmm. Grammarly now works in Microsoft yeah. Word and Outlook, which is a huge win. Um, you know, Slack integration, all mm -hmm. those kind of things. So I see some Apple, you know, Mac purists try to stay 100% Mac. And, you know, I don't think it's always the right move. For some people, they can get away using pages. Uh, but when it could, you know, some courses have very specific, you know, document formatting regulations. Right. And if you right. export to Word, it can change that and that kind of thing. So. And does, I mean, have you seen Microsoft Word be consistent between a Windows device and a Mac device? I have. I, I you know, I, I, uh, I don't do any more tech nowadays, so I could be removed from it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my, my, my team kind of does all that. But as far as I know, they're, they're in parity. I mean, they work. There's no, I, I can't remember thinking of an issue uh, of a, a file issue going from Word on Mac to Word on Windows or vice versa. Okay. Okay. Well, going back to our first question, uh, we still got to get two more answers out of you about common areas attorneys are making with their cybersecurity. The next, the, the next two, um, first one is uh, passwords. People just are lazy when it comes to passwords. Most people use, you know, three passwords and they reuse the same three passwords. So they have mm -hmm. the, the first one is the first password they used to use. Then one of their websites said, hey, this isn't secure enough. You need to uh, add a special character or a number. And they said, okay. And they put a number one at the end of their password. And they're like, all right, I got the new password. And then a few months later, their bank said, hey, that's not secure enough. You have to add a special character. So they said, okay, I'm going to do what no one's going to, no, no criminal's going to think of this. I'm going to change the S into a dollar sign. <laughs> and I'm going to change the L into an exclamation mark. <laughs> right. No one's going to figure this out, they think, right? But the problem is it's so predictable. And so, the, so they've got three passwords, and they're reusing those on all the different websites. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a huge problem. Again, it's like having, you know, if you had one key for your house and for all your cars and for your work office, that's essentially what they're doing. And when I say that, you know, that example aloud, it just sounds so stupid, right? It's like, duh, no, no one would do that. Do you um, use a, a password generator and a password minder? Yes. So that, so that's really the answer. And the reason they don't they use three passwords is because the thought of creating, you know, really unique, strong passwords is is overwhelming. It's like, oh my God, how am I going to manage this? Right. So I've seen Word documents, I've seen a note, you know, I've seen a contact in your iPhone that has all your passwords. Um, you know, of course, there's the old paper method, you write it on post-it notes, stick it to your monitor. So the reason they don't use secure passwords is because they don't have the tool to do so. And, you know, password managers are the way to go. You know, I personally have used one password. That's the number one in password. I'm sure you know of it. Um, I've used that for, you know, going probably 15, 20 years. Uh, LastPass is another one that I think is, is a really solid second option. Um, and these password managers, they generate unique passwords for you. They store them automatically in the tool and they automatically fill them out, you know, yeah. when you're logging into a website. So it overcomes, you know, 98% of the reason people use weak passwords. So I think the, the answer to using weak passwords, get a password manager, learn how to use it. And then, you know, the real answer is start to keep, you know, create unique passwords for each of your logins. That way, if and when there's a breach, which just assume it's going to be breached, then you go, oh, man, Netflix got breached. I got to change that one password versus, oh, my God, Netflix got breached. I got to change every single password I have. And, and doesn't one, uh, one password have like a watchtower where it will keep track of sites that have uh, vulnerabilities to it or it's been breached? I don't know if the, yeah, other, password, the other password companies do that as well. 
Yeah, most of them do. Um, okay. You know, I know LastPass has it, One Password. So all of these tools have some kind of uh, um, you know tool that says, "Hey, here are passwords you're reusing a bunch. Here are passwords that you know websites that we know have been breached. So you should change these." So it kind of gives you an order of priority once you first set up and, and input your data. Um, you know, it kind of tells you what you should focus on first to kind of tighten up your your security. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's go on now to our third answer. Yeah, the third one uh, common errors attorneys are making is not using two-factor authentication. Um, and, and most importantly, if, if you were only going to do those in one account, which you should mm-hmm. absolutely do more than one account, the first one is email. Email is, you know, it, it, it's the mother load. I mean, you get into someone's email account. If I can log into your email account, Michael, I can go into your case management software. I can hit reset mm-hmm. password and that comes to your email account. Boom. You know, I can change your, let's say I try to log into your bank and, uh, oh man, your bank has two-factor authentication, so I can't get in. Well, guess what? I can click on reset password for two-factor authentication. It'll send you an email to your account, which I'm already into, right. you know, so it's it's really the the key to everything else and uh, you know it, mm-hmm. it's it's the single account that has that can create the most damage and there's so many lawyers that still don't have two factor authentication you got to get over it you know some people they're like oh well it's a pain and i don't want to do it cuz it's an extra step it's like well Getting a data breach is going to create a whole lot more pain than just that. Um, and the pain really isn't that bad because, you know, most of these accounts, once you log in, it notifies, it, you know, it tracks your computer. So it doesn't, you know, the majority of these, you don't have to use the two-factor authentication every single time you log in. You know, it kind of, you know, keeps your credentials. It mm-hmm, has it mm-hmm. tied to your unique computer mm-hmm. uh, or device. So it's really not that bad. But two-factor authentication, bare minimum, priority number one is your email account. Mm-hmm. And then quickly after that, you know, once you do that, don't stop. I mean, make a list. What are the, you know, five or 10 that if they got breached, you'd be in a world of pain. You know, your bank account, case management solution, file storage solution, um, you know, QuickBooks are, are zero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, no. Excellent. Excellent. These are all great ideas that everyone, especially attorneys, need to be mindful of when they're running a business, let alone in their personal lives. Well, let's move on to the second question. What are three do-it-yourself hacks that attorneys can easily implement at their office to enhance their own cybersecurity? Um, I think I covered two already. I don't know if I mm-hmm. can use those, right? Uh, but, you know, two-factor authentication. Again, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got a small firm, sit down with every, like, hey, we're going to roll out two-factor authentication for our email. This mm-hmm. is what's going to happen. We're going to flip the switch. You got to set it up, right? Um, and, and again, sit down and make that list. What are the five most important ones? A lot of the apps, you can do it, you can enforce Mm-hmm. Um, using two-factor authentication globally. So through the admin portal, you flip the switch, and next time they log in, they're going to be forced to configure two-factor authentication. So that, that's that's the most secure way to go. I'll let you give a third to that, and then I've got a couple of follow-ups of other yeah. thoughts I have with regards to DIY cybersecurity. Uh, one more, okay. if you would, please. What well, is the third one? I mean, I think an easy one is, is finding some kind of... Um, there's so many different ways we could go. You know, keep your computers up to date and patched is is, is an easy one. Setting up and uh, you know locking your screen automatically on your computer, whether you've got a Mac or a PC. There's all right. kinds of you know features. You can check the box. You say, hey, after five minutes, uh, I actually like my Touch Bar. I know they're going to be getting rid of the Touch Bar soon, uh, mm-hmm. but I think they're getting, the the single feature I use the most is lock. Right. So yeah. you click on it if you're walking away, uh, and, and I believe that's going to be built into the new biometric kind of finger okay. scan button. You know, it's, it's, right. it is amazing how many people I know who don't put a password on their laptop. 
Remember the day when you used to go into a coffee shop and, you know, you were so paranoid about like leaving your stuff alone that you basically took the laptop with you. Now people leave the uh-huh. laptop there. And then every now and then you could tell someone did not lock their screen at very minimum. Yeah. You should be locking your screen because heavens forbid someone just takes off with it. You're, you're SOL. Um, yeah. They grab your laptop, go in their car and do everything they want, you know? So that kind of brings me to some other thoughts I had regarding DIY. Do attorneys, you know, as we know, everyone's kind of doing the work from home right now. Do attorneys and professionals need to have uh, some sort of VPN when they're working from their house? I personally don't believe so. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you have, you know, it, it, it depends what services you're using, right? If if you're VPNing, you know, if you're connecting to you know, your, your computer, your, your law firm server at the office, you mm-hmm. know, to access file sharing or something like that. Right. Absolutely. You should be using a VPN, right? Most people though, nowadays are using cloud-based services for a hundred percent of what they use, right? So all your data is either locally on your computer or on a cloud, you know, hosted service. So, um, right. But I'm talking about creating virtual private networks when they're at their homes, so that, you know, when you have that communications, whether it's a cloud service of your documents or if you're logging into the office at work, you know, do you need to keep that extra security on when you're when you're using the Internet from the house? Personally, I don't, I don't think so. I, I don't really push for it. You know, you, you want to make sure you I mean, if, if you have a Wi-Fi that does not have a password enabled and that's open. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent, absolutely. You should be using a VPN. Um, you know, WPA two protection, you know, or above for your Wi-Fi should be, mm-hmm. you know, mandatory. Uh, so, assuming they've got that, I don't think it's critical to be using a VPN all the time. You know, when you're just working on your laptop. You know, personally, if you're connecting to other, you know, other networks, you know, I, I think you definitely should in, in that scenario. But again, I think the smaller the firm, the more modern the firm, the least likely that is to happen. If that makes sense. So when you're saying connecting to other networks, you're you're kind of inferring more like going to a Starbucks or an airport and using the public Wi-Fi there. Yeah, if you're working remotely, you know, definitely use mm-hmm. a VPN, you know, for the added security. Uh, but when, for remote net, other networks, what I mean, if I'm working from home, my, you know, law, my the law firm I work with is in town, mm-hmm. and they've got a file server in house still. You know, so I need to connect to that. So if you're doing that, you should definitely be using a VPN uh, and, and the firm should be providing that for you for usage. Backtracking a little bit. Is there anything that attorneys and people at home or people working from home can do to enhance the security on their routers? Yeah, that's a great question. First, change the default password because it's probably admin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, you know, ma- manage updates. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of having your own router behind the modem because mm-hmm. uh, then you have more control. They tend to be easier to configure and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to say, you know, kind of manage software updates. Um, the easy one, if you haven't updated your your router at home in five years, you probably should, right? Um, right off the bat, you're going to get better coverage, probably one of the faster, newer Wi-Fi technologies, better security built in. You know, it's a lot more likely the newer ones are going to be cloud managed. So the, the software updates and security updates will install automatically uh, versus if you have an old one, it's just static and it is what it is. Um, but the, the two easiest things would be, you know, find out your login, change the default, you know, from, mm-hmm. from the default current password, and then make sure you've got a secure WPA2 you know, password on your Wi-Fi. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you an either or question. It's one or the other. You got to pick one. Do you purchase your own router 
or do you just rent from the cable company? I buy my own, uh, but I'm on the geeky level. You know, I, I enjoy okay. and I can do that stuff. If you rent, you know, it's covered. So if anything happens, they swap it out. Uh, right. But if you rent, you still need to stay on top of it too, because you might rent and pay for the rental for five years and you've got a modem that's way outdated and they're, right. you know, the, the, you know, they're installing way newer ones with better hardware and better technology yeah. today, but you're still renting the one from four years ago. Let's move on to our last question. What are three things companies like yours can do to help attorneys with their cybersecurity? Yeah. So Bobocard, you know, the, uh, before I jump into that, I'll kind of tell you what what, what spurred you know the idea for Bobogard. Please. Um, and so I, I've been running Globemac IT for 16 years, and mm-hmm. you know we've always focused on helping lawyers that use Macs. So super super specific niche. And as we've grown, so has our user kind of minimum, right? So we have a 10 user minimum now. And over the years, I've met with I, I always make the time to meet with a lawyer, even if it's a true solo, just one person or five, even when I know they're definitely not going to be a fit for our services. I make the time to meet with them. I, I do everything I can to give them some, you know, some direction, some guidance, some answers, because that's what we're all seeking for. Uh, and, and when I can, if, they, if they're not a good fit for us, I do my best to recommend, you know, some solutions for them. And over the past right, few right. years, what I've noticed as the cloud has really been fully embraced, and it's made a lot of things a lot easier than it used to be, right? Just five or 10 years ago. Um, I mean, nowadays you can set up a law firm in one afternoon, right? You go to 365, you set up your email account, you get all your apps, you integrate it with Clio or Box, you know, whatever your apps of choice are, you can turn in all the APIs uh, and, and they're up and running. Um, and so what I noticed over the past few years is that People need less support with their actual technology, right? The tools that they use to do their work. But the problem is that under that same kind of hat, the responsibility of technology, along with that, the security falls under the same hat. And when it comes to security, um, it's it's the opposite. It, it's way more complex. There's a lot more things to think of. You know, it, again, it's an ever changing you know world and all the threats that are out there. Um, and and that's what I realized a, a, a few years ago. I was like, man, people don't need as much help with the tech, but they had a lot of questions about security. We weren't able to help them because they were too small, and I had nowhere I could send them. And I was mm-hmm. googling and searching, and I was like, I'm I'm going to find a resource I can point them to, you know, for a solo attorney or a small law firm, mm-hmm. you know, five mm-hmm. to ten users. And there was literally nothing out there, not a, not a single solution. And so the problem with cybersecurity, uh, you know, uh, an analogy I like to use is kind of like a car. When you look at car safety, what makes a car safe? You would never say seatbelts or airbags or anti-lock brakes, right? It's by putting all those together that you increase the safety of a car. And so when you, if to have a good cybersecurity posture and significantly lower your risk of getting a data breach, you need multiple different security solutions in place. And the problem is, as a solo or a small law firm, you know, kind of 10 to 30 users, anyone kind of in, in anyone under that area of size, they want to improve their security. You go to Google and, you know, within seconds, you're overwhelmed and you're like, wow, right. I don't even know where to start. Right. You don't know what solutions are out there. If you find the solutions, many of them have, you know, 10 or 20 or 25 user minimums. If you go to an IT company. What they're going to try to do is sell you their entire security stack as a secret way to get in the door and then try to upsell you their full IT services, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what we've done differently with BoboGuard is 
Bubble Guard, first of all, is for Mac and Windows users. Okay. okay. And we're not trying to upsell any IT services. And we're, so what we've done is packaged eight of the most effective cybersecurity solutions that are out there that, in my opinion, every law firm should be using, every solo, every lawyer should be using. And this is actually what we use for Global Mac IT you mm-hmm. know, to protect all of our clients. And we used our economies of scale that we already have with buying a lot, lot, large amount of licenses and my ability to kind of simplify to kind of put in eight different security layers and make it as easy as we possibly can, you know, for the lawyer to get up and running. Because solo lawyers and small firms, they don't have time. They're not, I've never met a lawyer that's sitting around twiddling his thumbs, hoping to find something to do, right? It's it's a bipolar opposite of that example. And so the reason they don't get their security, you know, handled properly is because A, they don't know where to start. There's Mm -hmm. so many features, there's so many options, there's so many things they don't know they don't know. Right. If they do want to take action and and really secure their firm, they don't have the time to go out and find all these one-off solutions. Even if they could find them, they wouldn't have the time to roll them out and configure them and set them up and do all that stuff. Right. And so that was kind of the idea behind Bulbagard. I kept Googling and I was like, there's got to be someone out there. But what I realized is all cybersecurity firms out there, they're selling to the midsize and big law firms because that's where the money is, right? right? And they're alienating, you know, literally 63% of attorneys, 49% of private practice lawyers are solos, another 13% are in law firms with two to five lawyers. And so that entire segment has no answer for how do I make sure my security is in, is in check, right? Is done properly and that I've got, you know, I can sleep soundly at night. Actually, I wanted to go back to something you said a moment ago. You've you've had an increase in your Mac customers. Are you aware of what the percentage is of Apple hardware, specifically desktop laptops, compared to Windows machines? Do you know what that percentage is and how that's changed over the last couple of years? Yeah, I thought you'd bring that up. I, I saw I read an article that uh, you know on your blog from a few a few weeks ago about Jeff yep. Richards and eighty percent of lawyers use, use iOS devices. Yeah. So I don't have anything recent, uh, but probably you know four to six years ago, last time I looked at it, it's always been pretty consistent at a nine percent of lawyers that use Macs. It goes up a little bit higher. You know, the smaller the firm, the higher percentage. Mm-hmm. I bet that if we, you know, kind of ran the numbers again, did another survey, Clio used to do a survey, uh, actually, uh, that, that captured that information. I would say it's probably somewhere between 10 to 12%, you know, of lawyers that use Macs, especially when you go down to solos. Which is really interesting when you compare that to lawyers across the board using iPhones and iPads. Like that's increased mm-hmm. incredibly, yet they still have their Windows machines. You know, they're enjoying because well, they had computers before they had smart mobile devices. Right. Right. But but even um, even so, like when when the iPhone first came out, people started gravitating toward that. Mm-hmm. And yet you would think that would have at the same time increased the use of laptops and desktops from Apple. But that seems to have mm-hmm. kind of been stagnant over all these years. You would you know, basically the iPhone and the iPads would be great introductions. You know, yeah, I mean, you start with the iPhone, then you get the iPad, and lawyers love their iPads, right? right? Yep. So you would think it would extend, right? Uh, and, and again, it, 
I'd love to do do another survey and find out where they are. I don't have the means of you know my 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 list is is biased, of course, right? Mm, For global right. IT, it's all the marketing lawyers. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was at eleven or twelve percent, which doesn't sound big, but it's a twenty to thirty percent growth of where it used to be, right? Uh, so it's a small market, so a small increase doesn't seem significant, but it it, it is in, in terms of that market share. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the main main reason is. Um, you know, as much progress as the the legal space has made in adopting technology, mm-hmm. you know, they're still, you know, tied to their Windows devices. There's still a, a very deep held belief that you can't run a practice on Macs. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, you look five, ten years ago, you were a Mac using lawyer, you were the oddball, you were the outcast. Mm-hmm. What yeah. are you doing? You can't run a practice on on Macs. Yeah. Those are just for you know for uh, for print guys and graphic design and marketers, right? Um, so I, I think it's just for for new and solo firms. I mean, there's mm-hmm. more and more. And I think that's where that number has started because I've met so many lawyers. Are like, hey, when I started my own firm, I had a Mac at home and I hated Windows, and that's I'm going Mac. You know, and then Wait. they start growing. So. It's interesting since the practice management software has gone more toward the cloud that you don't need the practice management software that would just run on Windows, which would of course keep you anchored to Windows. On the flip side. It's interesting here talking about how you've noticed an increase of Mac users among solo small practitioners who are at least willing to invest the extra money into an Apple uh, device, which tends to last long term, say, versus a Windows device that maybe lasts two or three years. But I think the larger firms are are hesitant with regards to the um, initial cash up front. It's too much of an investment up front, but they don't realize the longevity they get out of it. I partly disagree with that because when you look at the mid-sized large law firms, the price difference between a Mac and the PCs they're buying really isn't big. Okay. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're not buying Chromebooks, right? They're buying Dell right. computers. They're buying the top of the line, high quality. And, and when you compare them, there's really not much of a savings. I think the biggest thing that's holding them from making progress are the IT people working in the law firms that still believe oh, okay. Macs can't be used to run a law firm, you know. Uh, but we, we have so many client law firms, that, you know, where uh, just one that we signed in, in Boston a couple of weeks ago, they went through three different IT providers. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were Windows IT providers that told them they knew how to support Macs. The truth is they don't. And they, they always end up being underserved. And there's so many, you know, different features that their Windows clients are getting because they've got their tools dialed in that, um, you know, the redheaded stepchild Mac users don't right, get. Right, right, right. And, 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 and uh, you know, and so it, it's it's very common for these lawyers to tell me that their IT people like, oh, you should just switch to Windows. It's easier and everything works better and all these things. But there, there's zero proof in that today. Like you said, everything is web-based. You right. know, there's no reason for it. So there, there's a lot of internal pushback. Uh, I think there's a, a, there's a real threat of job uh, security mm-hmm. from these IT people that have managed and supported Windows all these years. Uh, and the bigger the firm, the more likely they're still dependent on Windows servers and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you run mm-hmm. into more complexity. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like the IT people need to do what attorneys are supposed to be doing. And that is keeping abreast and up to date with the new software and the new options. And the, you know, as attorneys do with the new law and the new regulations, it's kind of interesting. But, but wait, let's still get the three answers from you to the question. Uh, what, are three th- what are three things companies like yours can do to help attorneys with their cybersecurity? Yeah, so the, the, the first thing is, is implementing 
a, a, a multi-step kind of safety safety measures. Again, just mm -hmm. think of the car, right? Mm -hmm. And and today you look at a Tesla and and all the new safety measures Tesla has now brought to other cars that are becoming more standard, right? right, right. Buying a car without a backup camera, do they even have that nowadays? Right? Ten years ago that was a luxury. Right. Now it's a, you know imagine when you when you get a rental car and it doesn't have a backup camera, you're like oh my god, you, you almost forget how to back up, right? Um, and and so. There's always new solutions coming out, and especially for cybersecurity. I mean, you know, we, we've been desensitized to data breaches, right? It doesn't make headlines mm -hmm. unless there's more than 10 million credentials nowadays, but there's still, you know, thousands and thousands of 100,000, 500,000, a million, you know, credentials that are happening, uh, data breaches. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the best things they can do is take the time to implement more, more solutions. You know, you've got to do more than just have a password manager and have two-factor authentication. Those are table stakes, bare minimum. Mm -hmm. And the sad truth is most client, you know, a significant portion of lawyers are still not even using those. So if you want to go above and beyond, you know, kind of a three, three ways to focus. One is to reduce human error. How can you reduce human error? So cybersecurity training is mission critical. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Michael Eisenberg and you think you're a tech savvy lawyer, you are not exempt from going through cybersecurity training. And I'll tell you why. There's a hand, there's one guy, I'm sure a lot of listeners would know him. I've been on his podcast a number of times. Uh, a good friend of mine, tech savvy lawyer. And the afternoon after he interviewed me to talk about Bobogard, he fell for, um, he got fished. Yeah, and he fell for it. He got an email from a lawyer he knows very well, one of his friends, exact same email signature. They had been talking, you know, right. wasn't out of line. He clicked on the link, took him to the website, looked exactly like his friend's website, put in his credentials. The second after he did it, he was like, oh, crap. And he realized what happened. And, gotcha. you know, fortunately, he realized it immediately and he changed all his passwords. So if a tech savvy lawyer like that can fall for a phishing scheme, mm -hmm. anyone can fall for it. You know, they're, they're just getting better and better, more advanced. The logos are not, you know, pixelated. The spelling right. errors are, you know, they've got access to Grammarly, you know, everywhere in the world. You know, they're getting better copywriters for their crimes because they pay well, right? And, and they're only going to keep getting better and better. So cybersecurity training is absolutely crucial. A cool little thing that not a, pe a lot of people know exists in addition to that is phishing simulations, so we're getting phishing emails all the time. Phishing simulation, it actually sends you and everyone else on your team, you know, sample phishing emails. Because what we want to see is, hey, who's going to click on the link? Who's going to mm -hmm. put in their credentials? And if we know that, then we've got a feedback loop that we can use not to get them in trouble, but to do better training. Hey, Susie, I saw you clicked on the link. Here's a, and, and some of these, the phishing simulation, they'll have immediate remediation training. So as soon as someone clicks on a link, it redirects them to a website and says, hey, you fell for it. We got you. Here's what you should look for on the email. Here are the mm -hmm. telltale signs, right? So mm -hmm. you're learning and you've got to stay up to date because cyber criminals are continually staying up to date. You know, they're reinventing their approaches continually. And so if we're not doing that, we're falling behind and we increase the risk of human error, right? Which is one of the biggest ways that, you know, uh, data breaches occur. The second one are use proactive security tools. So when you go into a larger business and they've got mm -hmm. an IT company external or they've got IT people inside, they're using, um, you know, tools on their computers to automate, you know, th 
Windows or Mac software right, updates, right. security patches, third-party software. These are table stakes, but for a solo or small law firm, there's there hasn't been a way for them to access these tools, right? Mm -hmm. So these tools are doing... Um, you know, monitoring, maintenance, patching, they're installing virus, antivirus, uh, they're running DNS web protection. Mm -hmm. So DNS web protection is kind of cool. What it does, it's it's a tool that's, the, the IP addresses and, and domain names are continually updated. And let's say you click on a link and you fall for it, but you've got this tool, chances are it's going to block the website from loading because it's been, it's been reported, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's continually reported for bad actors and stuff, right? So proactive security tools, tools that you can activate, you flip the switch, and mm -hmm. there's nothing else for you to do. It just kind of keeps an eye on you, you know, all the time. Um, tools like dark web monitoring, um, which I believe is absolutely crucial. Um, dark web monitoring is, you know, if you think of the dark web as the Amazon for cyber criminals, mm -hmm. cyber criminals get paid not when they breach you know, a company and get a million set of credentials, they get paid when they take those million credentials, put them on the dark web and say, mm -hmm. hey, hot off the press, we got a million user credentials from Netflix, come and buy them. Other cyber criminals say, hey, I'll take uh, 200,000 of those, I'll take 50,000 from the Home Depot breach. They cost a little more, but I'll take uh, 10,000 from the Chase breach because those have a high ROI, you know, right. and they go shopping and then they go to work. So, as soon as a third-party website's content is put for sale on the dark web, what the dark web monitoring tools will send you an alert and say, hey, Michael, we, we just found a new credential with your domain name for your law firm. You know, mm -hmm. check this to make sure if it's legit. Is it a password you're currently using? If you're using that or variation of that password, you should go and change your password, right? Okay, um, yep. So that's kind of the, the, the proactive security tools. And then the contingency strategy um, is you want to make sure you have good, solid backups in place. Now, right. for backup is not just hard drive and file backups, right? We recommend having a 365 or Google or G workspace backups. Um, I think uh, having a third-party solution is better than the built-in one mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot of things that can happen that, you know, sometimes accidental, um, you know, I've had clients accidentally delete a folder. Fine, they realize five months later, right? Uh, so it wasn't done by a cyber criminal, but having the right backups in place makes it easy to restore. Uh, there's also tools that make e-discovery a piece of cake. So if you have these in place and someone says, hey, I need you to find all the emails from January 1st to February 7th between Joe and Susie, you know, instead of having to hire someone or spending hours and hours trying to dig all that up, uh, these tools can automatically do that. IT security policies are also things you should have in place. You talked about uh, backing up to G Suite. Google makes its money from the data it rakes from its its customers and its users. Is G Suite something safe for attorneys to be using, given that they're going to have proprietary and uh, personal information on there? That could be a whole other deep discussion. Uh, I am not a or have attempted to be a, like a deep privacy expert and mm -hmm. all that, you know, mm -hmm. some people, I, I know, you know, lawyers love their Google, right? Mm -hmm. There's many that love G Suite, Gmail, they're, they're wed to it, they've used it forever. So I don't make it my, 
um, you know, to, my job to try to convince them to switch to right. 365. Uh, personally, we use 365 we, with Goldmac IT. We include it as a part of our service. Um, and then with, with BobaGuard, we have a backup, um, cloud to cloud backup tool that works with Microsoft 365 and Google Workspace. You know, and those are mainly meant to protect from human error, illegitimate deletion, right. program, you know, malicious insiders, all that stuff. As to is your data safe in Google Workspace? You know, I believe in, in with a Gmail, if you've got a like, you know, Michael the attorney at gmail.com, I would say no. You have right. more rights and protections in place when you have a, you know, professional business account. Uh, than kind of the, the personal, you know, public Gmail accounts. Um, so if you're using a Gmail account, I wouldn't say, you know, I think there's, there's definitely, you're, you're more at risk. So I don't know if that answers the question, but. Not necessarily, but I think you've got some good food for thoughts uh, about whether or not you should be using Gmail. I personally feel that if you're going to be using a Gmail email account, you know, michaeltheattorney at gmail.com, I think that looks a lot less professional than if you have your own domain name, you know, with your website, because quite frankly, everyone's going to be looking at your website. You know, it's the yellow pages of today, you know, it's the yellow pages of yesteryear. So uh, I think it'd be, I think it'd be silly if you didn't have your own domain name, whether you go to something like GoDaddy or Hover, um, you know, it's easy, it's cheap. You can get anywhere from like 20 to 60 bucks for the year. uh, And then you're set both for your email and and also for your, your webpage. Uh, but now forgive yes. me, I, I think that was still too, the second answer to uh, the third question. You correct me if I'm wrong, maybe it, it bled over. One is, you know, reduce human error. And so there's All different right. tools to help you do that. Proactive security tools, different tools to do that. Mm-hmm. And then the third is the contingency strategy. And so, uh, you know, so IT security policies, right? mm-hmm. most, especially mm-hmm. a smaller the firm, the higher likelihood that they mm-hmm. don't have those in place. Right, right. Um, so getting IT security policies in place, you know, backup for your data, you know, 365 or G Suite along with, right, right. Uh, you know, with others, uh, all the rest of your data. So that's kind of the, the, the three. All in all, um, there's a total of eight different security tools uh, that, gotcha. that are built into them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're actually going to be adding LastPass uh, business uh, real okay. soon as well, which I, I'm really excited about because it's shocking how many people don't use a password manager and, and they, mm-hmm. they need to because it's such a crucial piece. Uh, and, and one exciting thing we just recently just dis- we're working on the finishing touches. But essentially with BobaGuard, we are so confident that if you put these in place, you're going to dr- reduce your risk of a data breach so significantly that we're, we're putting together some kind of guarantee. It's going to say, hey, if you have a data breach when you're using BobaGuard and you've been right, right. actually making use of the solutions, right, going through the cybersecurity training, doing all these things, that we will pay up to $5,000. You know, if you have a claim, we'll pay for your first $5,000 of, of, of the expense. So essentially, we're, we're taking on the risk because I'm so confident that putting these in place is going to reduce your risk so significantly. And, you know, the last thing we've done, you know, again, you might hear all this and go, wow, this sounds great. But again, it's totally overwhelming. I don't have the time to do all this stuff, right? And so what we've done with BobaGuard, when you sign up, it's a six-minute intake form. Mm-hmm. We get the data we need to get everything set up. Mm-hmm. We've listed every single task that we can do without your involvement. We complete all those. And then we schedule a one-hour Zoom meeting Okay. Uh, with the the lawyer or the law firm, and during that time, we configure a hundred percent of the remaining steps. 
Cool. Uh, so we use screen sharing for that. So for example, you log into 365 admin mm -hmm. and then we say, okay, once you're logged in, we'll take over and we, you know, whitelist IP addresses and configure everything. And so it takes 66 minutes to get every single service up and running. And by the end of that call, oh, wow. all eight security layers are up and running okay. and you're a heck of a lot safer than you were before. Uh, and then the next question is like, okay, that sounds great, but can people afford it, right? How much does all this cost? It sounds expensive. So over the past year and a half, we, we've worked continually to kind of reduce the price and we were able to finally get it in December down to 80 bucks per user cool. with no user minimums. So oh, a okay. true solo can sign up for 80 mm -hmm. bucks a month. They get all eight of these security layers, you know, in place. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's it. And and it's really specifically for kind of that, you know, one to total, you know, one to 30 total headcount, you know, for small and solo firms. But I also realized there was a big segment, the small law firms with 10 to 30, where the office manager is the IT person, right? <laughs> or if, if they have an IT person, they're kind of a glorified firefighter. They're just putting fires out. They don't have the time to research and, 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 you know, find these solutions and implement them. So it's really, you know, positioned to, you know, support, um, you know, kind of what they're already doing and really help them bridge gaps that they have in their cybersecurity posture. Excellent. Thank you. I'll be sure to add in uh, both of your businesses into our show notes so the, the users can easily find you. Uh, that being said, where can people find you? Yeah. So for BobaGuard, they can just go to BobaGuard. That's B-O-B-A, um, BobaGuard.com. Uh, and we also created a, a, a landing page for your listeners. Uh, oh, we have you. a checklist, uh, kind of the security checklist for mm -hmm. busy lawyers. Uh, and they go to BobaGuard.com forward slash tech savvy lawyer. And we'll, we'll give you the link so they can just click on it as well. Uh, and then the URL for my, for my other company for Globe Mac IT is just mm -hmm. globalmacit.com. And are you on Twitter or, or Facebook or? I am not on Twitter, uh, but I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, okay. So just LinkedIn forward slash Tom Lambot is probably the easiest way to find me. And they can also feel free to shoot me an email if they want to talk or if they have any follow-up questions, just Tom at bobaguard.com. Excellent. Excellent. Well, before we sign off, I, I have to ask, how did you get the name Boba Guard? Uh, Boba, uh, the, the, the first name uh, was Security Plus, which was horrible. It's like naming my car Fast Car and thinking right. people are going to be able to Google and find it, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I need something unique. I want to get the dot .com so it's just less confusing and I don't want something with a lot of competition and you know, right, right. play the SEO game endlessly. Uh, Boba is our French... Uh, our French bulldog okay. um, that, that, that the kids named Fair and um, that's where it came from. So I just kind of public guard and I have to say this as well. We're going to be going through rebranding uh, in, okay. in the next probably 30 to 90 days. Uh, Bubble guard is a lot better than security plus, but I'm looking for the, we're currently looking for something that's even better. Well, be so, sure to send us an update and I'll add that into the show notes uh, when that, becomes, you know, official. Uh, and we'll have them redirect everything up for a while. So it's not too confusing, but Perfect. Um, Perfect. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's a huge, huge opportunity, huge need, you know, in this market. And I'm just trying to help people get the security they need without all the complexity and fear mongering and, you know, sales pressure from getting upsold to other stuff you don't need or want. That's, that's the fight I'm on right now. Well, excellent. Tom, I really appreciate you sharing your time and your thoughts and your experience with us. And I want to thank you for being a guest today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and uh, have fun in New York at the event. Hey.
Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, for the listener, I'm going to uh, the Legal Tech Week up in New York after having gone to the ABA Tech Show this past week. Uh, the This episode, of course, will be out a little bit after all that, but uh, I'll be sure to get this out as soon as we can. And again, Tom, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at Michael DJ at the tech savvy lawyer dot page. Have a great day and happy luring.